Hi, this is Jesse Watkins, lead pastor of the Friendliest Church in Concord, North Carolina, Friendship Southern Baptist. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this resource. We hope that it blesses your life, and we hope that we can be a continued source of encouragement for your faith. God bless. Tonight, we're diving right into Genesis. You're going to walk away tonight and say, man, I, I really understand Genesis. I see where the Bible started off. And in order to understand the rest of Scripture, we have to understand Genesis. Today I went and visited John uh, Vermillion up in the hospital. I didn't even tell him what I was going to preach about tonight. And first he started talking to me. He said, well, well preacher, uh, I hear you have your messages written way in advance. And I don't know if you get them from a, a book or another preacher. <laughs> I don't know where he was going with that, but I said, John, I write every message. And his wife said, John, hush, you might be offending him. <laughs> so I write every message, but, but here was what, was what was so funny. I didn't even tell him what I was preaching about tonight. And I was talking with John. He just starts speaking. In the beginning, God. Before that, Nothing. That was a pretty epic quote for Genesis. In the beginning, God. Before that, nothing. No universe, no people, no sun, no moon, no birds, no chocolate, no spaghetti, no babies, no laughter, nothing. Just God. In the beginning, God. And you know what's so funny? Is that the Lord, the Lord already knew what I was going to preach about. And that... That verse just confirmed with me that we've got to understand the book of Genesis to know the rest of Scripture. So I'm going to be looking at three phases of the book of Genesis. Now, there are 50 chapters, and I don't know if I shared this story with you before, but one time I did a youth lock-in. It was like a 30-hour event. And we, we set out to, uh, we were all fasting and uh, uh, raising money for children overseas that were in poverty and... Uh, we were going to read through the whole Bible. Now, I had read somewhere before, if you read from start to finish, you can read the whole Bible uh, in 30 hours. Uh, not true at all. Okay. Uh, we started reading Genesis at 7 p.m. And at 12 a.m., finished Genesis. Took us five hours to read straight through Genesis. And now, granted, I was with a bunch of teenagers and middle school students. The fact that I got teenagers and middle school students just to read five hours through Genesis was, I think, a miracle in itself. And I said, it was 12 a.m., and man, they were, they were just kind of losing it. And I said, well, guys, I tell you what, we're not going to make it through the whole Bible. Why don't we uh, do some worship songs, we'll play some games, and, and then tomorrow we'll finish Revelation. And we'll just start with the beginning and the ending, and we read all through those books. But the book of Genesis is so rich, so much information. And as I looked at it, I said, I can't possibly pull three themes out of Genesis. And, and my goal here tonight, tonight is not to say the most important or the most theological, but to give you a simple overview of the, uh, uh, things that happen that play the part in the rest of Scripture. So if you're taking notes tonight, there are three phases. The first phase is the inception and right now, I want to begin with Genesis 1-1. Would you turn there with me? I want to look at some significant things. Genesis 1-1. I think this verse in itself speaks a lot theologically. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens 
in the earth. If we just think about this one verse here, if we just dwell on it and meditate on it, that speaks volumes. What can it speak to us? Number one, it says that there was a beginning. That there was a point where everything existed. And before that, there was not everything. So what we see in Genesis 1.1, we see the, the, the before, the during, and the after of creation. So... What is significant that there was a beginning? I'll tell you why it's significant. Most atheists for centuries believed that the universe had always existed. They believed that everything was just here and had always been here. But in this century, they discovered something called the Big Bang. The Big Bang showed scientists that the universe had a beginning. And did you know that Scripture's been saying that for 3,000 years? It took scientists 3,000 years to catch up with the Christians. You see what I'm saying? So, you say, preacher, do you believe in the Big Bang? I believe God spoke and bang, it happened. You see what I mean? And the Big Bang doesn't disprove Christianity. What it does prove is that the universe came into existence. Even Stephen Hawking and these great people can show you that there's something called the expansion of the universe. I like to watch the science channel. And what happens is they can see that stars are getting farther away from each other. Well, just rewind time for a bit. That means everything is getting close to each other. That means everything came from a central location. So science and the Bible show that there's a beginning. And the Big Bang gives credibility to creation because it shows that everything began. So that was before the creation. What about during the creation? Do you know that all through Scripture, even in the Old Testament, you can find Christ? You may not even know this. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to share with you out of the Gospel of John, John 1, 3. It says that, speaking about Jesus, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God... In the New Testament, in John, it says that through Jesus Christ, all things were made. Some people say, well, where was Jesus in the Old Testament? Right there. Creating, speaking, and breathing everything into existence along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Everything was created through Him. Everything was created uh, without Him. Nothing was made that has been made. So God the Father and God the Son were both equally active in creation. Brings a new mental image to us that the same one that hung on the cross created the wood that the cross was made out of. The same one that was pierced by the nails created the elements that would be made into steel to fashion nails. It wasn't just a man, but it was the God-man who actually created everything. The fact that God created something also tells us something that God wanted people to have a relationship with. Now imagine you're at home, you got your Dr. Pepper, you got your uh, uh, Lay's potato chips and some French onion dip. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's paying attention now. So you're at home, you're in your recliner, you're watching your favorite movie. You're comfortable. You see what I'm saying? I want you to imagine you're comfortable. You don't just get out of your chair and go down the street and find a neighbor because you're lonely. No, you're comfortable. Now, I want you to think about something that before the world, God was comfortable. 
God and the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had existed from infinity before perfectly fine without all of us. Bringing problems into the equation. The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, they had a perfect relationship for infinity. We can't even fathom infinity. But they were comfortable. They didn't need the world. So people say, why did God create the world? Because he wanted to have a relationship with you. The fact that the God of the earth desires a relationship with you should make you feel not just like some bits of carbon and hydrogen, but should make you feel like the most precious thing on this earth. That God desires to have a relationship with you. Even fashioned galaxies and fashioned black holes and eagle nebulas. But you were the pinnacle of creation. God didn't create this universe because he likes looking at shooting stars. There's so many amazing things. The Grand Canyon. Uh, uh, they say that the sea is so... We, we know so little about the ocean that we know more about the moon than we do our own ocean. But among all these things, God says, you are who I desire to have a relationship with. That brings us from nothing to something right there, from zero to hero. Every time you ever meet an atheist, I want you to ask them a question. I say, do you believe in the universe? I say, what are you talking about? Of course I believe in the universe. Then tell them this. The word universe means single spoken. You know why? All God had to do was speak it. And it happened. Even the own universe, the title of it, gives credit to the glory of God. And if an atheist says they believe in the universe, then say, well, I guess you believe God spoke it, because that's what it means. There was so much power in His Word, that when He said, create, let there be light, there was light. When He said, let there be firmament, there was firmament. There was power in God's spoken Word. So we see what happened before creation. We see what happened during creation. What about after creation? We know in the scriptures, God saw it and said it was good. Think about this. Before the universe, there was nothing else good except God. Except God and the angels. There was nothing else in existence that was good. But now there was something else in existence that God said was good. The world was good. Mankind was good. Light was good. The whole ordered system was good. But as we'll see in a moment, someone came and messed that all up. So God saw it and said that it was good. That means you were good. That means marriage was good. That means animals were good. That means uh, when God said you can have dominion over the, the fruits and over the earth, food is good. I mean, I like steak, amen? I like, I like vegetables that come out of the ground and God made all this for man and said it was good. Before that, there was nothing else good but God and the angels. So we see that at the beginning of Genesis, we see the inception. And that means the beginning. What does Genesis show us? Uh, Genesis 1-1 show us about God's character? It shows that He has revealed Himself as a creator. God initially appears on the scene, and initially appears on the scene in Scripture as one who creates. Now, I don't know about you, but... You see, when we are creative, we identify with the power of God. When a lyricist writes a song, that part of creation is in the essence of who God is. When a builder builds a house, that essence is of who God is as a creator and a maker. When an artist paints a painting, is part of who God is as creator. God likes to see His people 
be in his image as creative. So we see that God is a creator and he is the initiator of all creativity. You can't get more creative than God. You know why? Some artists can say, I came up with a pink cat. Well, they didn't uh, invent pink and they didn't invent cats. You see, all we do as humans is put things together that's already in existence. But God actually invented a cat. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that was one of his lesser creations. But (laughs) now when he invented dogs, that was really cool. But God invented the colors. God invented a tree. Now, we, we will cut down a tree and make a house out of lumber. But God invented the whole tree. Just spend a day looking around, looking at the leaves and understanding that God invented the pattern in a leaf. God invented a berry. God invented the way the wind moves. All these things are just mind boggling that went through the mind of God during the creation process. What a majestic God we serve that can think about all that and do it for you. So we see at first that there was the inception. Secondly, the deception. Now, y'all know I like to rhyme things because it makes you remember them more easily. So after the inception was the deception. Turn to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. If you're having a good time, say amen. Amen. So we're looking at Genesis 3, verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman... What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There was a deception that took place in the fabric of the universe. The fabric of God's ordered system. There came a break in God's perfect plan. This verse here is very theologically significant. That a break occurred in the perfect relationship between man and between God. There are three things that we can see about the deception. And I stole some of my rhymes from this morning. We can look at the root, the fruit, and the boot. (laughs) That's when God kicked them out. I thought it was pretty good. You know what I mean? Let's talk about the root of evil. The devil here plays a main role in the narrative of humanity. You say, well, what are the key characters in the book of the Genesis? The devil wasn't in it, we wouldn't have a story. You see, every movie that's about billion-dollar blockbuster has a villain or someone that causes a problem. Every book that's been written revolves around conflict and resolving conflict. You see, here the devil comes on the scene, not just as a story. I mean, this is literal, real. The devil shows up as the villain, the evil one, and the enemy of God. When he comes up on the scene. It doesn't tell you all this. It just says there's a serpent. But look what that serpent did. You see before the fall of man. There was as we see later in scripture. A fall of Lucifer. Sometimes you have to read later in the Bible. To find the background. That serpent was there. Because he had already disobeyed God. And you know what? He had gotten kicked out of heaven. And now he was ticked off at God. And now his goal was to kick people out. Out of God's perfect plan. You ever had to do that before? Maybe you didn't get picked for a sports team in school. And now you want to make sure that that team didn't do well the rest of the year. 
Or maybe you didn't get picked to be on a, a certain committee or a certain office at your job. And the people that were on there, you just wanted to ruin their time. See, the devil got kicked out of God's perfect plan. So now his goal was to ruin it for everyone else. Before the fall of man, there was already a fall of Lucifer. In the whole story, mankind was not the original enemy. A lot of people say, well, God's, you know, God's angry at men because they sin. Let me tell you who God's truly angry at. God's truly angry at the devil because he's trying to mess everything up. When it says that the lake of fire was created for the devil and his demons. The lake of fire was never originally intended for people. What does that tell us? That when there was a fall of Lucifer, God had already reserved a place for him. God already said, you don't want to be in my kingdom? I got a place for you to go, buddy. So hell was not originally intended for people to go. Because you were created for heaven. You were created for a perfect relationship. I think the devil knew all along where we was headed. And his goal was to take people there with him. But you see, there was the root of evil and then the fruit of evil. Adam and Eve, they were existing in perfect harmony with God. There was not an awareness of sin. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just like being a child again. Just like being little Bella. <laughs> what time? Bella. Okay. Let me go here for a minute. She tinkled in her panties. Okay. I said, Bella, is that a good girl or a bad girl? She said, Daddy, that's a little girl. <laughs> she is so smart. I tell you what. Children are so innocent because all they know is what all they know is I'm hungry. I need to potty and I want to play. That's all there is to it. That that was Adam and Eve. All right. God gave me trees. I'll eat. When nature calls, we go do that and let's enjoy it. That's all Adam and Eve were doing. Right. That was the only primary motives in their life. Let's enjoy God. Let's enjoy creation. Just like a child. But then children grow up. And y'all know what I'm talking about. And they realize when you don't tell them to take a cookie from the cookie jar, that they can pull up a stool to the countertop and steal a cookie from the cookie jar. And then when you catch them with chocolate all over their mouth, and you said, who gave you a cookie? I didn't need a cookie. Chocolate over their hands. Where's all that from? I don't know. You see, there was a deception that occurred in Adam and Eve found the results of disobedience. What is significant in the story of Genesis when they were deceived and ate of the tree that they were told not to eat? It's not that the fruit was significant. What was significant was that they disobeyed. We do that a lot of times. <clears throat> Maybe your parents, when you were little, they had a nice vase that cost them, I don't know how many dollars that dad bought for mom for her anniversary. And they say, don't you touch that vase. What happens when they walk out of the room? You just look at that vase. You just want to touch it because he told you not to. And finally you touch it and pick it up, start playing with it and poosh, crash. You see, here's the thing. They were existing in a perfect relationship with God in a perfect creation. And all he said was, you have dominion over everything. Just don't touch that tree. Hmm. Okay. Well, one day, God was not there. The serpent says, you won't really die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. So Eve takes of the fruit. Adam takes of the fruit. 
And God comes and says, what have you done? How do you now know that you are naked? They felt ashamed because they realized they had disobeyed. Disobedience was the root of the breakdown in God's perfect plan. Once they disobeyed, it tore apart what God had tried to create. And it only took one sin to fall out of a right relationship with God. I meet people all the time that I witness to. And they say, well, you know, I'm not a really bad person. I've not killed people and I've not done all those bad things. You don't have to kill people. If you break one part of the law, it takes us out of right relationship with God. Doesn't uh, the, the, the nicest person on the face of the earth still needs Jesus Christ to pay the price for their sin. Because God is so holy and we, even through one sin, have lost holiness. Holiness means perfection. Mankind lost holiness. God is holy. He can't have anything to do with imperfection. So there had to be a mediator. Mother Teresa, the Pope, I don't care who it is. They still need Jesus Christ. uh, Blood for their sins. So it only took one sin to fall out of a relationship with God. We see in the deception, the root, the fruit. What about the boot? They were excommunicated from the garden. I just wanted to do that. Because it makes me feel fun, okay? It's New Year's Day. I'll kick if I want to. So they got booted out of the garden. You know why? Because God kept His word. God said, don't touch that fruit. They touched it. God is the God of His word. You can no longer have anything to do with me. Out. They were cast out from perfection. They were, I mean, to be honest with you, they still had an awesome universe to live in. But they weren't in a relationship with God. You see, that's what they lost. Everyone talks about the garden, how pretty it was. and Oh yeah, they had fruit hanging. We still have fruit hanging. You can go plant an apple tree in your own yard if you want to. What was amazing was the perfect relationship with God that they lost. They lost daily communion with God. Daily walks with God. Daily talks with God. They lost it. What does that mean? That means Christianity is... A reuniting of daily talks with God. Christianity is a reuniting of daily walks with God. And even though as Christians, we still neglect to do some of those simple things, don't we? So they were excommunicated from the garden, from God's perfect relationship. Therefore, the whole rest of the Bible hinges around God restoring mankind to a pre-fall condition. After Genesis 3, the whole rest of the Bible is about God restoring mankind to the pre-fall condition. And matter of fact, He's going to restore us to a condition even better than the pre-fall state. You know why? There won't be a devil. There won't be a chance to fall. And it will last forever. You see, we can say that Adam and God had a perfect relationship, but there was a problem. Adam was able to be tempted because we were still in the world. There was still a serpent in heaven. You won't even have to worry about temptation. You'll be surrounded by the goodness of God day and night. Surrounded by the perfection of God day and night. And there will be nothing else trying to draw away our attention and get us to invest in something other than His righteousness. So the rest of the scripture is trying to bring you back to what God originally had. And even better than that. You see, in the deception, we see a picture of God as holy. 
Because he can have no part of sin. A lot of preachers talk about the love of God. Oh, God loves you. God's so happy to see you. But they neglect the holiness of God, which says that if you're a sinner, God cannot have a part of you. If you're a sinner, you will not be able to go to that loving God because there must be a payment for your sin. So we see in Genesis, not just that God is love, but God is holy. And even one sin separates, separates us from that perfect relationship. We've looked at the inception. We've looked at the deception. Now we're going to look at the reception. A receival of something. I'll tell you what they received. In Genesis, we find that the earth received God's wrath. Turn to Genesis 6.6. Genesis 6, 6 says this. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. Okay, for one thing, God was pretty angry. He's going to destroy everything. On another hand, Noah found God's grace. You remember the message I preached about Mary? That she found favor with God? It says in the scripture, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God's grace was still in existence, even in His wrath. Even in God desiring to destroy everything He's created, His grace was still present. In the reception, we see God's plan. You see, wrath was part of God's plan. Because whenever there is disobedience, a judgment has to act upon it. That's right. If you read parenting books, and if you tell your kid, you know what, if you, if you steal a piece of candy, you're going to go to timeout. What happened if they steal a piece of candy and you say, it's okay, now you've broken your word. But God, He judges disobedience. It says the whole earth was wicked and now God's judgment had to be displayed. In the flood, whenever God brought the flood, the earth experienced a water baptism. What was true for the Christian is true for the whole earth. And I want to look at three reasons why the earth experienced an entire water baptism when God started over. The first is that the old had to be removed. Look at this whole picture. The flood is a picture of the salvation story. You see, everything was wicked. It was not giving glory to God. So the old had to be removed. How did that happen? Immersion in water. When you were baptized, it might, might be the most significant day for you as a Christian. God had to baptize the entire earth to start new. The earth experienced a water baptism when everything was immersed in water. So the old was gone. There was an immersion in water and everything started new. In the Christian story, your baptism gives testimony to the fact that you're now a new creature. In the Genesis story... The flood gives testimony to the fact that the earth was now a new creature. The only thing that was left was Noah and his family because Noah found grace and God was starting a new family. 
God was starting over. There's a lot of people that haven't been baptized. And I tell people all the time. It's like me saying yes to my wife, but never putting my ring on. It's like me saying I do at my wedding ceremony, but never wanting to show the commitment. Baptism is a sign that you have been forgiven by God. And that He has made you new. So we see God's plan. Secondly, in the reception, we see God's man. Genesis 8 goes on to say that even after God was planning to destroy the earth, it says that God remembered Noah. Because Noah was trying to live righteous. Noah was trying to live right in the sight of the Lord. When everyone else was serving false idols and pagan gods, Noah was still being faithful to God. It says, Noah, God remembered Noah. I want you to know something tonight. God remembered Noah because he was found righteous in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, God never forgets the righteous. Do you know what? You have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. That means God never forgets you. Maybe you're going through a day where everything's going real bad. I want you to know that based on Scripture, God remembers the righteous. There's never a day that God doesn't think about you. There's never a day when when God forgets you. Don't say, man, why is God letting me go through this? He's not even hearing me. Listen, God remembers you. And the Noah story shows that God remembers those who are righteous and who have found favor with God. And listen, if we're under the grace of the cross, you have found favor with Jesus Christ. So God remembered Noah. We see in Scripture that when it says that God remembered, that also means that God has a memory. That kind of shows us not the humanity with God, but the, the mentality that God has. When it says God remembered, that means God is able to remember. Also that God is able to forget. You know how I know that? Because it says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And never remembers our sin. So God has the ability to remember. And God has the ability to forget. And he remembers you and he forgets your sin. Even in Genesis, we see the whole gospel story being portrayed. When it says that that God uh, was grieved because of the earth, it also shows us something about God's character. That God has a will or desire. And that it can change. What do I mean by this? God has emotion. God was grieved because of the earth. God actually gets saddened by evil that goes on. Sometimes we think of God as this stoic figure which is unmoved and motionless. But when it tells us that God was grieved because of the wickedness, God has an emotion. God is the creator of emotion. When you're grieved when you see evil happen, imagine the grief that God goes through. When he sees his plan being messed up by evil and by the devil. But he already knows how to fix it. And he will. Because he sees even the mess ups. He sees even the evil in foreknowledge. He's omnipotent. All powerful. He's omniscient. All knowing. So we see God's plan. God's man. And then God's hand. Through the flood. We see God as a person that will display wrath when necessary. God will display wrath. Now there there are even some biblical historians. Who do not believe that the flood was worldwide. They think it was a localized flood. Do you know what God promised after the flood? He said, I will never flood the earth again. If it was just a localized flood in Noah's time, that means God lied. 
because there are still floods. But God said, I will never flood the earth again, which is why I believe. uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. If scripture says it, I believe it. When it says he flooded the whole earth, I believe he flooded the whole earth. Did you know they can find fossils of, of seashells on Mount Everest? Do you know they found frozen palm trees in Antarctica? Wonder why? Because when the whole earth was flooded, there were some fishies swimming up at Mount Everest, and there were some palm trees floated down to Antarctica. All of science gives testimony that there was a worldwide flood. And even if you look at the historical record of other societies, you go to Hawaii, who had never had the gospel before. Guess what they have a tradition of? A great flood. People in Hawaii had the tradition of a great flood. People in China knew about a great flood. What does that tell us, Bible scholars? There was a great flood. And it really did happen. And God judged the earth through His wrath. So through the flood, we see God's wrath. But through the ark, we see God's mercy. My, my, my. The ark becomes like the cross. Whereas Noah found favor with God and built the ark, God had a son who found favor with Him and built a kingdom upon a cross. You see, in the cross, we see simultaneously God's wrath poured out on His Son, but God's mercy through the provision of salvation. Just as in the book of Noah, we see these two things simultaneously. So the reception, the receiving of God's wrath, shows us God's character as a righteous judge. Now that's different from holiness. Holy means He can't have part of sin. Righteous judge means He will avenge evil. In these three highlights that I pointed out tonight, we've seen God as creator, we've seen God as holy, and we've seen God as a righteous judge. But here's my last question. Through this all, what can we know about God's love? We can know that through the desire to have a relationship with mankind, everything, the wrath, the holiness, the judgment, is still Even part of his love story. Sometimes it may look like God's an angry God. And sometimes it may look like he is. uh, Some people even said, you know. There's no way there can be a good God that allows things to happen in the world. I'll tell you what. God gave man dominion over the world. He said, I'm creating this world. I give you dominion over it. My question is not why does God allow evil to go on this world. But why does man allow evil to go on this world? Why does man allow abortions to happen every day? Why does man allow uh, homicides and, and genocides to happen every day? God gave man dominion. But God will redeem it. And He will perfect it. So we can know through it all, we still see God's love through His desire to have a relationship with us. And all God's people said, I hope that you can look forward To diving into each book of the Bible. And seeing how rich. Every part of scripture. Gives testimony to the work of grace. To the coming Messiah. And to the whole part of God's love story with us. I'm really excited about next Sunday. We'll be looking at the book of Exodus. That's going to be a tough one. You know what's in Exodus. The Ten Commandments. So this is going to be a really rich series. And I'm excited about it.